Hi everybody, and this week on the Sensory Matters podcast, we have got Sophia talking about Tourette. Now, I just want to apologise, Jamie's not with us this week because we've both been a bit poorly, so I'm doing it today on my own and then next week it'll be back to normal. But anyway, Sophia, really excited about this podcast because Sophia's been with us probably from the very beginning of Chewy Gem. Um, I watch a lot of what she does and I see a lot of Jamie and Sophia. So when I see Sophia going to uni and doing a master's and things like that, it's incredible because I think that if she can achieve that I think Jamie can achieve that because they are so very similar so I'm really really looking forward to the podcast this week with Sophia. Um, other things happening this week if you're in the VIC group you'd have hopefully joined our live bonfire party on Monday which was incredible we had such fun and we're going to do more things like that so keep your eyes open on the page and we'll announce some more live parties because it really was lots of fun. Um, what else we've got some more Things coming up, uh, we've got promotions coming up on uh, e-gift vouchers and some more promotions on subscription memberships. But as I've been a bit ill, I'm a bit slow with those. So just keep your eyes open and we will be announcing those on the page. But right now, I'm going to go and have a listen to Sophia and I will see you soon. Bye. We love a net and we love a check. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out. Chat to folks who've been there too Collect it together and share it with you If you know someone we should speak to Send them our way and that's what we'll do We like to have our sensory natters You know what? Hi everybody, it's Jenny here again with another Sensory Matters show and today I have the great pleasure of chatting to Sophia. Now Sophia has all kinds of interesting stuff going on. Um, so you were diagnosed with autism, you've also got Tourette's and OCD and you're doing some really interesting research, is that right? Yep. Okay, so I know that Tourette's is something we've not covered yet um, on the show and um, I've seen your little news clip that you did for, was it the local news? No, that was for ITV News London. Yeah, ITV News London. And I was surprised listening to that, that is it one in a hundred people, Londoners, they reckon have Tourette's? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's way more than I would ever have imagined. Yeah, similar statistic to the amount of people that have autism. Yes, yeah, yeah, you would never ever know, would you? Because no. autism, I think, there's much more awareness about it now, but maybe not so much Tourette's. And no. then it was interesting watching the programme as well, because um, it's the whole, what do you call it? The myths around what Tourette's is, and many people think it's swearing and all the rest of it. So I know that um, for you, Tourette's came on quite suddenly. So yeah. can you talk us through when that happened and how it developed? So my Tourette started when I was just about to turn 16. Um, I'd had a few minor tics when I was about 13, um, some eye blinking, a wrist movement, but nothing really that anybody would have noticed, nothing that I noticed either. Um, and then when I was 16, I started taking some medication for OCD and it all just sort of exploded overnight and... That, that started so that was a bit scary in, to in, wake up in the morning in what way did it explode what, what how did it present so i just woke up one morning and i was jerking barking um just completely lost control over my body movements and vocalizations wow. um, and it carried on from from there it was quite bad for the first few years but over time i sort of learned to manage them suppress them um 
yeah, I suppose you just develop coping strategies yeah. as you become familiar with how the condition affects you. So when you woke up that morning, how, how did you feel when it was all happening? Just completely out of control, like really scary. I had no idea what, what was happening. Yeah. Uh, and then that resulted in a number of sort of appointments to see emergency cams. And then I ended up in hospital to check that there was nothing else going on. And then it took about uh, two years before I was diagnosed as having Tourette's. Wow, okay. Um, so for you, your Tourette's presents in, in kind of physical tics and vocal tics? Yeah, both. Okay, but not, not the, the, the mythical, well, it's not mythical because it does happen. Is it something like half of people who've got Tourette's have the swearing kind? Is that the right statistic? Yeah, I think there's like, I think the statistic is about 10 to 15%. Okay. So the majority of people with Tourette's don't swear. Yeah, yeah. And why do, why do you think it, it exists that people, because it does, Tourette's, every, everyone always thinks, oh, it's swearing, but why does that still exist, that myth, if it's such a low percentage of people that have Tourette's? Because that's all that's shown on the media, I think. So every TV programme, they seem to show the most severe cases of Tourette's. Or they put people in situations which will make their tics. So, like, they'll film people in a supermarket or yeah. out in public, which they know is going to ex exacerbate somebody's condition. Yeah. They never really talk about, like, the more subtle sides of Tourette's or the co-occurring conditions. For a lot of people, it's the OCD, the anxiety, ADHD that can sometimes be more problematic than Tourette's itself. Okay. Um, they never really discuss the physical sensations of what it's like to have Tourette's, what it feels like just before you're about to have a tick. Um, all of that sort of, I don't know, maybe it's not exciting enough for TV. Yeah, maybe. So if you, if you were in charge of uh, a show um, to tell the world about Tourette's and what it's like, all the things that you've just described, what, what would you want to get across? Well, first of all, I would like to get as many different people as possible to show how it does present so differently from young children to adults, females, males. Um, I'd like to talk about sort of the daily, what it's sort of like in, in a more accurate way. So not deliberately putting somebody in a situation which is going to make them tick more. But for example, like me, if I'm at university and I'm sat in a lecture, and somebody came in, they probably wouldn't know I had Tourette's because I can suppress them during a lecture and I'll hold them in. So just to get across to people that you probably interact with people in your day-to-day -day life that have Tourette's and you don't know it and maybe they don't know it. Yeah. Some tics are so mild um, that they just go unnoticed, which is probably why it's one in 100, but it's probably a, a lot more than that. Yeah. yeah. One in 100 diagnosed, that's what we know about, so... Yeah. Possibly more than that. So you said also that, that there are kind of co-committent, kind of co comorbidities, I suppose, other things going on that also are maybe linked to or come in combination with Tourette's. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were on medication for OCD mm -hmm. and that's when it kicked off. Do you see any link there or was that just coincidence? Um, well, I I don't know. I don't know if I if I didn't take the medication if... I would have developed the tics anyway if they would have intensified or not. I mean, the medication might have just acted as a catalyst. It might have been the stress of that whole period in my life that triggered it more. Yeah. It's to 
it's hard to sort of decide which one factor it was it was probably a combination of things yeah okay and is there is there any um you know confirmed knowledge on anything that causes Tourette's or is it genetic or they do think it's genetic so um it's likely to run in families um not necessarily it might not necessarily be your parents but it could have been sort of further along in the generations grandparents and so um so the i think the leading theory at the moment is that it's to do with a chemical imbalance with dopamine okay so yeah it's, it's definitely sort of biological in nature i guess so is it something then if it's a chemical imbalance do they do they treat it with with medication or do you have to do your own mental and physical coping strategies so some people do take medication for their Tourette's um the medication is not usually specifically designed for Tourette's but it's been found to help okay uh, those with the condition but the problem is it's usually medications that sort of bring down your dopamine level so you don't have this excessive movement and vocalizations but yeah. dopamine's also responsible for motivation and sort of energy levels so a lot of the time people take the medication and it can reduce their tics but the side effects might not be worth the reduction in tics okay. some medications do have sort of horrible side effects and I guess it's down to the individual to decide whether the side effects outweigh yeah. uh, the managing of Tourette's for them. So it's it's a personal decision, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and for you, the, the, the morning you woke up and this just suddenly started happening, you've said yourself that it was frightening and, you know, out of the blue, it would be incredibly frightening. Um, what, what about your family? How did they react to it? I think I was just really worried like I was because we didn't have much knowledge of Tourette's before that anyway. Yeah. Um, You have to have uh, multiple motor tics and at least one vocal tic for a period of 12 months before you can get a diagnosis. Wow. So although the doctors were sort of saying it seems like it's probably Tourette's, I had to wait quite a while to get the official diagnosis, which then made it really hard to explain to other people because they'd say like, like, what's going on? And I'm like, well not really sure because I haven't been diagnosed yet so it could be Tourette's it could be something else there was a lot of tests to rule other things out yeah Um, but then eventually when I was diagnosed it it was easier to say I have Tourette's this is what Tourette's is this is what it means okay I, I was gonna I was gonna say that that is it's a bit like lots of people I talk to that they find having that diagnosis does help it yeah. helps you understand it helps you accept what's going on it helps other people understand and accept and yeah. potentially access services and support that you wouldn't have got without the diagnosis yeah 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 with that okay um so you you also obviously have ocd which came first how yeah. does well in fact before we go to ocd let's talk about tourette's and you said that you managed to control it to a certain degree and hold it in how how do you do that um, a lot of people ask me this question, but it's really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before I tick, I usually get like a, a, a sensation, an urge that builds up. Okay. Sometimes it'll be in the part of my body that needs to tick. So I might feel it in my arm and I know it'd be an arm tick. Other times it's sort of a more general feeling. Um, and then I'm not really sure where the tick's going to come from. But, um, I sort of, 
push the feeling down. I don't know. It's hard to explain to someone who doesn't have Tourette's, but I sort of hold it in. Right. But as I'm holding it in, I can feel it getting, it builds and builds and builds and builds. And then eventually you have to let it out. So it's not like you hold it in and if you hold it in for long enough, it sort of disappears. Mm. But it just sort of um, builds up one on top of the of the other. Okay. And then I release it. So it's, 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 I'm imagining a bit like a, a water, a, a load of water somewhere and there's nowhere for it to escape, but eventually the volume of water pouring into it will force it out of a tiny yeah. little hole or an overflow somewhere. So that it's not that you can stop it, it's just that you're delaying it? Yeah, that's that's right. It's more of a delay than, than stopping it. Okay. So, it's a temporary thing. Yes. So then uh, I'm imagining, you know, you're, you're at university, you're in a lecture or something like that, um, and you're holding that in and you're feeling it build and build and build. Is it a case of then, do you manage it by going, right, okay, that's the lecture over and I've got my next lecture coming up and it's lunch, but I'm just going to go to the toilet and in the cubicle let it out? Or how, how do you manage when it comes out? Or are you quite comfortable with displaying your tics publicly? So I'm quite lucky that I've got really understanding friends who know about my Tourette's and during a lecture where I'll try and hold it in as much as possible. I mean, a few sometimes come out like whistling or blinking, yeah. but nothing's too uh, disruptive. Okay. Uh, and then during the lunch break, if we all meet up and get together, then I just sort of let it happen and they're fine with that. Yeah. Um, so that helps. Then get it all out in time for the next uh, yeah. lecture. Yeah. So, uh, but previously, I would have um, let them out privately. Yes, and I suppose in some ways, the fact that you've got great accepting friends and there'll be other people floating about, that all of that, being able to do it publicly and comfortably in a group you're comfortable with, is just going to move the understanding of Tourette's and the acceptance of it forward. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, I mean, I'd like to think that every one person that you teach about Tourette's they will then say oh they'll speak to somebody I spoke to somebody who's got Tourette's day it's not what I thought it was yeah or what I've seen on tv and then they might tell somebody else and bit by bit we sort of raise awareness yeah absolutely and I, I thought your answer and I'm going to ask you the same question that one of the girls asked you on the um, news interview is that would you ever wish that you could get rid of Tourette's um if you'd asked me a few years ago then definitely mm -hmm. because it was just new and scary and something that I didn't feel feel that I could manage yeah but now I guess it's become just it's become normal for me it's become a normal part of my life and it's given me lots of opportunities to meet other people with similar conditions um so, no, I don't think I would get rid of it. No, because I, I guess it's it's who you are and you've probably, I think you said in that interview that you've learned a lot more tolerance and understanding yourself of other people's yeah. conditions because you're in that position. Yeah, I think when you've got conditions yourself, you're a lot more accepting of other people's differences and, you know, less judgmental maybe. Yes, yeah. Okay, so moving back to OCD, which was your first diagnosis, was it? Yeah, so that diagnosis came first. Okay. I started when I was very young. Oh, really? How young? 
um, my earliest memories of having sort of intrusive thoughts and compulsions probably go back to about four or five. Wow, okay. And can so, you remember what sort of things you felt compelled to do at that age? So I remember having to do certain things like uh, we had a computer and I had to tap on the mouse a certain number of times because I thought that if I didn't then something bad would happen to my parents. Right. Um, and then it, it was always along that sort of line, so preventing harm from happening. I always used to think bad things would happen and the way that I could counteract those bad things from happening was to carry out all these rituals and compulsions. Um, I also used to be very worried about windows being open. I used to ask my mum if the doors were locked before we left the house when I was very young. And she used to say to me, you don't need to worry about these things. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm checking everything yeah. fine. But from a very early age, I was very, uh, I had this huge sense of responsibility that I had to prevent bad things from happening. Right. Um, but obviously, I didn't understand that it was OCD until I was much, much older. Yeah, okay. So again, OCD, lots of kind of misconceptions around it. What do you think are the biggest ones? Uh, the biggest misconception is that everybody with OCD um, cleans yeah. everything. That's the one that's always shown on TV, again, with programs like obsessive compulsive cleaners and things like that. Yeah. There are people who do have um, contamination OCD. So like one of my things is I have to carry hand sanitizer everywhere I go or wipes. I don't like touching things. I open door handles with my sleeves and things like that because I'm afraid of germs. It's not just that. And I think that's, again, another problem with the media and OCD is just showing one very restricted aspect of a condition. Yes. Um, Do you think as well that uh, I hear a lot of my friends say things like, oh, I'm a bit OCD. Um, can you be a bit OCD? Um, I think people can have traits of being a perfectionist mm -hmm. and making things a certain way. But I think the difference between... Um, people who think they're a bit OCD and people who have OCD is it's one thing to like having something a certain way and it's another thing to have to have it a certain way yeah. so liking the TV on an even number the volume you know it's not a big disruption to somebody's life but if it's coming to the stage where you have to have it like that because you feel that something will happen if it's not yeah. then moving into OCD as opposed to something that's just like um, a bit of a habit maybe. Yeah, or, or, or a quirk, a personality quirk or whatever yeah. else rather than something that you get that feeling of dread and despair if it's not. Yeah, being compelled to do things in a certain way or have them in a certain way. I mean, it just brings masses of anxiety Yeah. rather than liking your CDs in alphabetical order, which might make you feel sort of good <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense and um, so for you diagnosis of OCD you, you're showing traits of it early but when when was that figured out so um, probably when I was about 15 when I first started CAMS okay. so I was around the age of 15 but I'd known it was OCD from 12 okay. because I'd seen a documentary on TV right. where people OCD um, but one aspect of my OCD was I felt that if I had spoken about the thoughts that I was having, they were more likely to happen. So for a long time, I didn't really talk about the intrusive thoughts because I was afraid that I was somehow going to 
enhance the probability of of the thought occurring yeah um and it wasn't until i realized that that was an aspect of ocd too that i felt more able to start talking and testing it um so that all started with cams yeah okay so and even that it's get my head around this so you've what what going back so ocd came after cams so what was going on that led you to cams so how I ended up at Cairns was um, I was maybe year 10 at school. Um, I was struggling, socialising. Um, anxiety was just becoming overwhelming. Everything was changing. Social demands were becoming more and more as you go into sort of having to do work experience and things like that. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of my school time sort of hiding in corridors and under stairs and things. Uh, but because I was doing well academically, nobody ever sort of thought there was a problem. Yeah. Um, my attendance did start to go down, though, and um, it was time to do work experience. And a teacher asked me how I felt about it. And I just sort of came out with everything that I've been thinking for the last however many years. Hmm. Um, she'd asked me to go speak to the deputy head teacher who asked me if I'd ever considered that I might be autistic because I reminded him of other people he had worked with. Um, it wasn't ever anything that I'd thought of. I didn't know much about autism either. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting where my mum came along as well and he told me about Asperger's syndrome and things like that. And me and my mum went home and had a look online and it was like somebody had written about me on the internet. Um, and from there, we went to the GP to talk about it and then got referred to CAMS, where sort of everything started following on from there. Okay. So in terms of your autism, which you now have a diagnosis for, and you got that about age 16, Yeah. how does your autism present itself? Um, so for me, it's I don't do change very well. Um, I struggle to interact with people my own age. So a lot of my friends are, are older than me. Um, lots of routines, lots of anxieties, sensory sensitivities, very literal. I take things very literally. Okay. Uh, and my mum always said that she had noticed from a young age that there was something different about me. She just didn't know what it was. Okay. Um, and she just thought that I was a very smart child who preferred adults company and reading books and yeah not really playing with other children um but then as I got older and my cousins came along my brother came along the differences between me and them became more obvious okay yeah okay so we have got um autism OCD Tourette's and anxiety pretty much yeah. um so out of the four of those which one has the biggest impact on your day-to-day life? Um, probably, it depends really. So I think OCD has the biggest negative impact on my life, I would say, because it's just constant anxiety and rumination. Um, autism can be difficult depending on whether the group of people I'm with know I'm autistic or whether they understand uh, the traits that come with that. But I don't see being autistic as completely negative. I think there's difficulties, but there's also positives that come along with being autistic. Um, What what are the positives? 
So for me, it's like attention to detail, being able to hyper-focus on something. So if I'm into something, I mean, I can sit there and be at it for hours and hours and hours. So, um, you know, liking things to be done properly um, and just having a different view on the world. I mean, sensory problems are difficult because the world does feel like quite an overwhelming place a lot of the time. Mm. I think when you constantly notice everything, you actually realise how amazing things are as well you see a lot more mm-hmm. than people who don't pay attention to what's going on around them yes yeah so it's not yeah absolutely and for your OCD how do you with that one being the one that has the biggest negative impact on your life what what coping strategies do you have for that that you could share with our audience that might help them so at the moment, my only coping strategy is medication because I'm still waiting for somebody who can offer CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. I found it quite hard to engage in CBT before because I don't think it's very suited to the autistic way of thinking. Okay. Um, a lot of it was like rate something out of 10, um, which I find quite hard because I know zero is nothing and 10 would be the most and five would be halfway. Yeah. But numbers like two three four six seven they're they're kind of arbitrary to me yeah it's hard to sort of and also to label what you're feeling to sort of so I know that I'm feeling a negative emotion but I don't exactly know what's the best word for it yeah so so far CBT hasn't really helped me in that sense but um I think it would do if I met somebody who also knew about autism okay so I think a lot of autism specialist CBT sort of thing. Yeah, I think if it was slightly adapted um, to suit how an autistic person thinks, yeah, it might be more helpful. So at the moment, my only coping strategy is to take medication. And does that work? Um, it doesn't get rid of it completely, but it has it at a level where it's not consuming me every day. Okay. So I'm able to sort of, it's there in the background, but it's not, it's not taking over as much as it used to. Right, okay. And what, what are the other options apart from CBT and medication? Uh, I think some people like doing things like meditation. They find that helpful. Exercising. Yeah. Um, I think CBT is probably the most well-researched, though. Yeah, okay. In terms of effectiveness. Um, and let's talk about what you did a psychology degree yes and you're now doing a master's mm-hmm. and on how autistic people um process is it similarity and difference is that right yeah. so yeah. explain explain that to me so um i'm looking at hypersensitivity to difference um and whether autistic people compared to non-autistic people are more prone to noticing difference in the environment um and things around them which I think they are Uh, and to see whether this links with other autistic traits like anxiety the need for predictability sensory sensitivities um, and so on so there's research in sort of different areas of autism and I'm trying to see how all the traits connect so I don't think they I don't think autism traits are just a random list of behaviors okay I think I think there must be something that bring all together okay but because what's interesting with autism being a spectrum and a total scattergun of like you could 
it's almost like a pick and mix of all the different parts that you may or may not have if mm-hmm. you're autistic. And so your your theory at the moment is that even though they're all different and everyone's different, there's some reason those things are connected for that individual? I think so, yeah. I mean, we all present in a different way and have a different mix, as you said, but I think some of the core traits we all share. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to find out whether these there's something that connects these and whether hypersensitivity to difference is what brings these all together. Okay. So how, how do you measure hypersensitivity to difference? How do you even begin to look at that yeah so in my study i've been uh, measuring difference in a few different ways so one of them is to do a change detection task okay. where the participants are shown an image on the screen and it flickers on and off um and as it flickers there's one change and as soon as they see the change they click okay that change and i'm comparing the time it takes autistic people to notice the change and the time it takes non-autistic people to notice the change. Okay. Uh, so that's one of those tasks. Uh, the other task is to do a spot the difference. So that looks more at how autistic people search for change. Mm-hmm. Because in the environment, a lot of autistic people will walk into a room and automatically notice that something's different or something's moved. But in a spot the difference, you have the images side by side, which you wouldn't have in real life. You wouldn't have the before image. Yes assess how autistic people search for change um so i did a mock office scene took two photos um and edited one to make changes and to see how many autistic people find compared to non-autistic people some of the changes are really subtle and then the last task i'm doing is participants are shown two pictures of two faces side by side um with different expressions and i just asked all participants to describe how the faces are different and I predict that autistic people are more likely to focus on the details of the faces so they might say the eyebrows are higher or you can see more of the teeth in this one or there's more lines across the head whereas non-autistic people might give a shorter less detailed answer and say one face is happy the other face is sad okay so I'm collecting lots of data that would be really interesting. Are you are you seeing any trends that are backing up what you think will happen? Or is it too um, early yeah. to say? I am with the faces because that's been quite easy to analyse. But okay. the rest of it, I'm still looking through all that. Right. Okay. So how long will this Masters take you? Um, it actually finishes in on the 31st of August. Oh, I wow. have to my dissertation. Okay. Wow, you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. In the next couple of weeks. And yeah. so after that's done, what, what's the future hold for you? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I would like to just stay at university forever. If would that's you? A- <laughs> yeah. So do you think you'll go on and do like a PhD or something? Um, or another? Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. And so if you could, what would be the next thing? So you like the whole research thing by yeah. the sounds of it. So if you could research something else, what would you want to look at next um i like researching autism and i think the focus needs to move away from sort of describing autism in very negative medical terms and i think to start looking at autism in a different way um and also involving autistic people in in research like sometimes i come across some papers and i think i wonder if they actually consulted autistic people about that and 
whether they've asked us if that's something that we think needs research in. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to stick with the autism research and just sort of try and guide it in a different direction so it's not so negative. Yeah. Although I do think things have become a lot more positive, but yeah, you're right, there's still a lot of work to be done around that. I think generally things have become more positive, but not so much in the sort of scientific world. Yes. Like they'll still describe autism in terms of impairment. um, Yes, disability. Yeah, I think we could use better language. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, and you, you found us, um, you used Chewy Gem when you first started ticking, is that right? That's right. Was it any good? Did it help? Well, it helped in school. Good. <laughs> so um, I had a lot of loud vocal ticks and a tick where I'd clench my jaw together. Yeah. Um, so in school I was sort of putting pens in between my teeth yeah. or bite to my fingers to try and hold the noise back. And I thought there must be something that I can sort of put in my mouth that's safer than chewing on pens and my own hand. Um, and I can't remember exactly how I came across Chewy Jim. But I remember finding the company and messaging Lorraine and saying, this is my problem. Yeah. Do you have any advice? And the first Chewy Gem I had was the button. Okay. So it was nice, it was nice and tough. Yeah. Couldn't break through that one. No. Um, few people can there are a handful that do manage it but it's pretty tough that one yeah that's good well uh, anything else that you want to say to the world before we finish up your kind of final message uh my final message uh to the world or to people who have conditions like me both, both. so to people who have conditions like me i would say to be proud of who they are to not let their conditions hold them back and to advocate for themselves and, and use their their knowledge to help others become more understanding. Yeah. Um, and to the rest of the world, I'd say don't make assumptions about what we can and can't do. Okay. Um, work with us and let us show you a different perspective. Okay. That's interesting. So do you think people do make assumptions? Oh, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. Like, give me an example. Um, so most people who meet me, uh, like doctors who meet me, they get a list about me and it says autistic, OCD, Tourette's, anxiety. And for some reason, that means that they then talk to me like I'm five. <laughs> um, yeah. Or they assume... So it works both ways. I've had people assume that uh, I'm not able to do things that I want to do. I've been told that I wouldn't succeed in psychology because I'm autistic and what I think doesn't work and things like that. But then I've also had the opposite problem where people have assumed that I can, I'm capable of doing everything. Yeah. So they, they can't grasp the fact that just because I go to university, that that means that I can talk on the phone, which I can't do. Yeah. Uh, I would manage in a busy shopping centre. They seem to equate what they think is intelligence with being able to do everything else. Yes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because from from the outside, without thinking about it, you are you're you're coping very well. You've gone on and done um, a master's. You know, there are a lot of people in the world that don't even make it that far, and you've yeah. done all that. So therefore, you must be hugely capable at everything. Um, this- 
like functioning labels like low functioning and high functioning because I think they they just they're not helpful to the person at all no if, if you're labeled low functioning people assume you can't do lots of things yeah. if you're labeled high functioning people assume you can do everything yeah and we don't go around in life labeling non-autistic people by their level of functioning anyway so I don't know why it's okay to do it to autistic people yeah totally and and we, we also don't assume what other people can and can't do I suppose we just yeah. accept what they can and can't do yeah and it do and don't like a lot of assumptions yes no um, you're right with autism yeah yeah I wonder how we change that I don't know. It's probably what you said about moving away from it being a very medicalized thing. Yeah. To almost being this. I, I don't mean this because this undermines the challenges or belittles the challenges that people with autism can face in that um, it is almost like a personality type. Mm -hmm. And by saying that, I, I, I don't mean to belittle the challenges that people face, but I think I think in many ways that would make it less medical and less you know what I yeah. mean it would if just... people just see it as a normal variation of exactly. being a being would be much better yes uh, and also not to think that because they've met one autistic person that they know what all other autistic people yes. are going to be because that's a common thing they'll be like oh I know an autistic five-year-old and you're not really like him yeah well I'm a 22 year old female so I wouldn't be no Exactly. Where we don't do that again with non-autistic people. I, I wouldn't expect you to be like somebody else that I've met. I just know that you're different to them. Yes. So I think the label of autism, although it's helpful to autistic people to know, yes. the people who are sort of outside of the world of autism and know what it means to be autistic, they just assume that everybody who's got this label of autism would therefore all be the same. Yes. Yeah, which that's true. Which the case yeah absolutely yeah no very interesting well it's been fascinating talking to you and i would love to you must message us and let us know the outcome of your different study because i'd be really interested to know i will do yeah okay brilliant well thank you very much for taking the time today to talk to us thank you okay So that was incredible. It's so nice to see Sophia because I do a lot of corresponding with Sophia via Messenger. So you often don't think of who they are, but what a lovely, amazing young lady. Um, I can't believe that she'll have finished her master's now. Hopefully she's been able to stay on at university because she wants to do that forever. Uh, what I found really interesting about that particular podcast um, was the OCD, the Tourette's, the ASD, but also the fact that her mum thought that she was just around a lot of adults and she was advanced and she liked to read. And that's exactly what I always said about Jamie. I always said, oh, well, she's around a lot of adults. She likes to talk, she likes to read. And it wasn't until I had Jo and I saw other children of her age and how they interacted that I actually realized that actually there's something here. And then you look back in hindsight and it's pretty obvious, but at the time it's not so obvious because you just think that, yeah, talking, reading, interacting with everybody. So that was really, nice and I think I said it in the preamble that I find that Jamie is very similar to Sophia anyway and so I like to follow her journey and see how she's getting on but anyway some amazing um things that she's she's done at uni I was gonna say doing but that'll all be finished now she'll have finished her master's and I hope you all enjoyed it and if you haven't subscribed as our subscribers 
uh, in the VICs. So it, that's $13.95 to become a VIC subscriber. You get one credit a month and all the other benefits. If you don't want to pay to be a subscriber, we now have a new free membership level. So please go ahead and join as a free member. We'll see you again next week and hopefully Jamie will be here. And I must say, because she wasn't here and I didn't say it, yo, bye. You know what?